people don't realize that the definition of relationship comes from Latin and means relatus. And the word relatus means to carry back. And so a relationship is a verb. It's not a noun. It's a verb. And so I'm in a relationship with you. You kick up something in me, good or bad or whatever. I take that emotion and I bring it back to my therapy, to my meditation, to my inner reckoning, trying to figure out, oh, why do I feel that way? Oh, that's from back then. Okay. Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintain, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. There's a reason I'm having Bill O'Haran on for a third time. When it comes to relationships, this man just gets it. His focus admittedly is on marriage, which is not the focus of NetworkWise, but as you'll hear Bill tell you, any relationship can be considered a marriage because all relationships, whether it's with friends, coworkers, or family, require some kind of an investment of your time and effort. And in this episode, he talks about how the pandemic allowed all of us to learn something new about ourselves. And he explains that any strong emotion that comes out during a difficult time likely stems from a period earlier in our lives. But it makes much more sense when Bill explains it. So rather than trying to summarize it myself, without further ado, enjoy my third conversation with my good friend, Bill O'Hara. Big Bill O'Haran, it is awesome to have you back on the show. You are my first trifecta, my friend. <laughs> I love it. I love oh, man. It. You know, and each conversation just gets better and better. It was interesting. So our first conversation, I think you were surprised. I, I don't think you knew what to expect. The first podcast, we just had a conversation. It ended up being fantastic, so much so that people from all over the world listened. And this is when the podcast was really in its infancy. I forgot what number you were, but you were one of the first. It was Jan 2018. Wow, jeez. Oh, my gosh. Is that really when, when it was? January 2018. Yeah, I remember it well. Oh like it was God. yesterday. Oh, my God. So that podcast ended up going, I mean, literally, it went viral all over. Yeah. You know, I had some people that reached out, and I just got such overwhelmingly positive feedback. And uh, there's been just such a domino effect of really good people that have come into my life as a result of the, our conversation. As such, you know. it obviously, we followed it up. You came back and we were kind enough to have Mr. Stephen Patch fly or come in <laughs> from Rhode Island or Massachusetts or uh, who knows where that guy was coming in from at this point. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you guys really, you know, you tore it up. It was an extremely meaningful conversation, got really deep. And uh, now I'm excited to have you back a third time. Thank you. Share more of what's going on in your life. And I know you've got some exciting news that are coming out. So what have you been up to since you were last on the show? So that was middle of 18. Finished the book, which I'm super excited about. We'll talk about that in a little bit. That's out now. Took about almost between eight and nine years to actually do. But since we last spoke, we really kind of put it into gear and got it done. And that's really, really exciting just for me to get everything in pages in a book. And the second thing is I started a new job in my day job, running a little sales team. And I think that the exciting thing for me was that we talk a lot about EQ. We talk about relationships and networking. And 
my whole MO when I came into this new role was putting that theory to work. And it's, it's been exciting. It's really paid off. We've had some nice success and really well, there's a ton of research out there that says after 10 or 15 years in your career, all your success or 80% of your skills that you use at this level later in your career are emotion-based, EQ-based. Hmm. And I really wanted to put that to the test and we've had some nice success. So start a new job, finish the book and yeah, just really excited. And I'll be 56 in a couple months and it's weird to be 56, but I feel like on some level, like kind of starting a whole new phase, if you will, with kind of putting my work out there a little bit more. So thanks for asking. It's been a great little year and a half, not without its sideways moves in the pandemic, but it's been a lot of work and it's been a lot of fun. Wow. So that what you just mentioned, I'd like to rewind a little bit. I thought that was really interesting about the 80% of your EQ. Now, yeah. is that saying, I'm not sure if I fully understood that. So 80% of what you were going to be doing is EQ based or mm. it's, yeah, you don't mind expanding on that. Yeah, it's a great question. So Daniel Goldman, who cornered the market, started the whole, he wrote emotional intelligence back in the mid nineties. He's been doing a ton of research since then. And what they found, I read this about five, six, seven, eight months ago. What they found is that once an executive gets 10 or 15 years in their career, so their first 10 or 15 years, let's say, is really kind of using their intellectual skills, their organizing and solving problems to get to a certain position. But after a certain time, 15 years, I think was the metric, was the skills that make them really successful. So I should have clarified that. Successful executives, once they get past those first 15 years, the skill sets, the, the, the tools that they use to be successful are no longer their IQ, it's their EQ. In fact, 80% of the skills that they put into work, if they're going to be successful and when they are successful, is emotion-based. Understanding a team, understanding the fabric and the patterns of a team is much different when you're in your 40s and 50s, because when you're in your 20s and 30s, you're just trying to solve stuff and plow forward. And you don't really have the scope, which we're going to learn, which I talk about in the book. It really takes till your mid 30s and into your 40s, where you have much more scope and life experience to see and build a bigger team. So that, yeah, the math is, was the science behind that was, was really an interesting data point. Yeah, that's beyond interesting. And, and I completely, now that you've kind of put it into that context, it makes a lot more sense to me. And what's really interesting about, I mean, again, the EQ, the things that we're talking about, that's creativity, persuasion, adaptability, flexibility, which is so important nowadays, as we all know, being exactly. able to collaborate, leadership, communication, teamwork, problem solving, right? That's what we're all talking about here. Self-awareness. 100%. And what it is, all those things you just mentioned, the tunnel, the filter that we use for that is self. In other words, you don't know self as well at 27 than you do, as you do at 47. So understanding self and how to apply your own experience around all those tools you just mentioned is how success is built. Like intuition when you're 45 is much different with intuition sure. when you're 25 because you've got 20 years of life current has gone through you, water under the bridge and go, oh, I've seen this before. I've seen this pattern. I've seen somebody behave this way. I've seen that reaction. I've negotiated that. It's a much powerful tool set you have. And I think that's really kind of what you and I always been talking about is networking and relationships and use of self is the whole thing. And that, that data point really just, you know, kind of blew my head off going, wow, I, I can't believe that's an actual scientific data point that my intuition, my sense of self and use of self is my biggest asset. I, I mean, I call, I mean, listen, people call the EQ a soft skill. I call it a, a, a hard skill, uh, an employability skill, a durability skill. I call it a career insurance. And all of what you are saying supports that. 
Well, it's funny because Robert Monroe, who is really the maestro who studied left brain, right brain and intuition and everything out of body experiences for 45 years, he said there's a constant battle between the left brainers and the right brainers. And I think it's the left brainers, no offense, super smart, but they're the ones that kind of downplay intuition. They don't kind of trust that soft skill, quote unquote. But if the data says 80% of your skills when you're after, let's say over 45 years old, are those soft skills? And it's hard to argue with that data point, but there's always going to be a battle between the rational and the intuitives. What's interesting about that, and a lot of people are fighting it and they're kind of the anti-artificial intelligence and the way that the world is working. And and it's really it's just another, I don't want to call it an industrial revolution. This, this is like the fourth revolution. Yeah. But I, I see a lot of optimism coming out of this because it, it will eliminate a lot of the mundane and repetitive yeah. and open up the opportunity for these soft skills that we're talking about, the creatives that are out there, the leadership, the interactivity, all of those kinds of things. So absolutely important that people develop this skill set. So tell me more about the book. (laughs) So yeah, it's called Waking Up Marriage, Finding Truth in Your Partnership. It was originally going to be called Death Rebirth in the Suburbs because the whole (laughs) template and the whole environment and context that I talk about is why marriages are so difficult, really why relationships are so difficult. It's not really about marriages. It's about relationships are so difficult because we don't know ourselves. And just like we're talking about EQ, it's a perfect data point because really you're really married to your old emotions and your spouse is just kicking them up. So in relationships, we're always like pointing the finger at your boss or your mother-in-law or someone else that's creating these emotions inside But these emotions were built by the time you were 12 years old. My whole tagline is your marriage started when you were in fourth grade. Because from zero to 12, all your inner emotions, all your sensations are basically built in. You've been immersed in them. You've been in the space in between your parents. You soaked up all these emotions. And then they get kind of stuffed down. And then by the time you get in your 20s and 30s, you get into a relationship. The friction of relationship kicks up all this old stuff that you don't realize is yours and you didn't know it was in there. So really the book is about how did this stuff get in there and what do I do that it's in there and how do I manage what's in me in the context and the arena of the relationship? I say use the marriage as the arena, the altar to learn about self and finish your life. Complete your life through knowing self and use your relationships as the template. And don't run from the friction. People run from the friction. How do I know that? Because 50% of marriages fail. Well, they fail because you and I are married and you drive me crazy, but it's really me driving myself crazy. And so I bail. So I'm not willing to stand in the fire. I say stand in the fire. This is the whole premise of the book. Stand in the fire of yourself. Understand your own emotions. And you're going to see clearly the other emotions and other people and how my wife is kicking up my insecurity, my little boy, my frustration with the feminine energy, my frustration with women, whatever it might be. My wife's just kicking it up. It has nothing to do with her. And that's why I love, I love the idea. I'm not saying, you know, like I cornered the market, or I've solved the world's problems, but I like the idea that you have to stand in the fire, that a marriage is really about you. You're married to your old emotions and your spouse is just kicking them up. That's the template and framework of the, of the book. Man, if I was a betting man, I was actually going to bet that the name of the book was going to be called Standing in the Fire. I, it was one of the, it was one of the, I couldn't get it through the folks that were publishing the book. They, they really? came up with Waking Up Marriage, which I really liked. My wife did, but Standing in the Fire is going to be a tagline we're going to use a lot more. But thank you. I appreciate that. 
Okay, no problem. I'm, I'm disappointed in them, but I, <laughs> but, I but I support you 100%. <laughs> book two, book three, or book four. I've already got like seven more titles for the next book. So. Oh, that's good. Hopefully they don't take 10 years. Or, or no, it took more than, I think it was more. Was it 10 years? Exactly. Uh, was, yeah, yeah. That's a number I don't even want it. Yeah, it's longer. Let's just say longer. Well, I spent. Ask, lo- Go ahead. Let me ask you this. Did you enjoy writing the book? Because it's, it's so mixed, the feedback that <laughs> I get from cathartic. Big time cathartic. I would say 50% of the time was phenomenal because I did so much research. I cite 60 different, 67 different sources in the book. And it's so exciting when you get these aha moments. You know, a truth can't be created. It's perceived. You get these aha moments. You're like, oh, it's all worth it. And then trying to figure out how to clearly delineate and share the story and the insights is brutal. And I'm an English major, so I should be able to, I should have been able to figure out how to do it earlier. But I'd say 50-50. 50% was awesome. 50% was just short of torture. <laughs> just to be honest all right I, I, but i'm ready for more so is this just for uh married folks or is it could anyone single benefit from this and then what about yeah. same-sex marriages does it are the same rules apply 100 percent. yeah in fact that's the only funky thing about the the title is that it's really not about marriage is that or another way to look at it is that every relationship you're in you are married in some form whether again your boss your in-laws your kids I mean, you're really married to those. The word is just a it's kind of a phrase, but it applies to everybody because all the whole premise is let that other person, let your boss kick up this emotion in you, take this emotion and go find out where it actually is from. It's from your dad not giving you a hug. It's from your watching your grandfather be mean. Whatever it is, doesn't matter. It's not good or bad. It's just taking what's come up in self and reapply it in that relationship. So here's the beautiful thing. People don't realize that the definition of relationship comes from Latin. It means relatus. And the word relatus means to carry back. And so a relationship is a verb. It's not a noun. It's a verb. And so I'm in a relationship with you. You kick up something in me, good or bad or whatever. I take that emotion and I bring it back to my therapy, to my meditation, to my inner reckoning, trying to figure out, oh, why do I feel that way? Oh, that's from back then. Okay. Now I have the insight going, oh, okay. Adam just kicked up this old thing in me. And now I carry that wisdom back to my relationship with you through vulnerability, through honesty, through sharing. And now our relationships now move forward. It's gotten deeper. That's relatus. That's what the whole thing is about. So it's not about marriage. You asked a great question. It applies to everybody. Everything you do is in relationship, whether it's your neighbor, everything. They're always going to kick up, kick up something in Adam, kick up something in Bill that's like, wow, that, that feels weird. Why did that comment have that impact on me? And that's what I was using. You use this in your daily sales work. What we do is like, okay, that client said that and you reacted that way. Hold on a second. That's your reaction. You got to let your client unwind their own stuff. But it's, again, EQ, what are you feeling? What's coming up in you? And then how to leverage that and come back to the client and go, okay. And so it's, it's a constant verb. It's constantly in motion. And that's what I love is that it will never end. It's yeah. kind of sorting out and figuring out self. I'm going to tell you something that I love. <laughs> one of your many pearls of wisdom, you talk about relationship and I quote you often and I will, <laughs> and I will tell you a quote from you that probably gets, I, I probably mention it, I don't know, once a week, no exaggeration, wow. it's probably on many of my other shows. So I'd ask you, what is a relationship or you just came out, I don't, I don't know how it, how it unfolded, but the bottom line was you identified a relationship as a shared experience. You went on. You went on to say that you can only make up fifty percent of the relationship. 
So it's important that you carry your load and do a hundred percent of your 50%. You remember that? I mean, I just got goosebumps. That's my favorite. Yes. I own 50% of my relationship with you. I own 50% of my relationship with my wife. And there were times in my marriage where I was, for lack of a better word, humping it, like really trying to understand Bill. My wife really wasn't doing her share. And she's admitted it. We talk about it all the time, but I couldn't do anything about it. I can't get her to the therapist. I can't get her to meditate. She's just going to have to figure it out. But my commitment to the thing, to the relationship was bigger than everything else. And I think that's something that gets lost as well, which I talk about in the book is you have to be committed to the altar, to that thing called relationship. And if you're committed to it, just keep doing your 50% and you're going to know if the other person's willing to do even partial of their 50. And all, but the thing is why people run their heads into the wall in a marriage is like, I'm doing all the work and they're not doing well. You have to just keep doing your own work. So I, I, I love the fact you're bringing that. That's ultimately probably one of my favorite notions or uh, bullet points of why life is important and what it's all about. It's just do your 50%. It's beyond powerful. And everyone I ever say that to, it gives them pause. Yes. It really makes them think. Yes. It's funny you said that. Of a pulse. <laughs> it's funny you say that. I have a counseling client that was way back in 08 who emails me and he still uses that quote. So that was 12 years ago. So yeah, that was a good one. I, I don't know where I came. It wasn't, I didn't invent it. I'm just a translator and stealing other people's stuff, just like Bill Gates. I give you credit for it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I'll take it. So what do you do with the person that you want to have a strong relationship with and they're not carrying their 50%? What do you do? What is someone who's listening right now? What can they do if they can look themselves in the mirror, know they're doing 100% of their 50%, but their other half isn't? So I just got goosebumps again. So you and I talked about it. I call it vitamin V and it's called vulnerability and just sharing your stuff, right? So if I come to you and say, listen, Adam, I feel like I'm doing this, this, and this. We're not really getting anywhere. And I know all, if I'm sharing my most kind of sensitive inner experiences and just kind of laying it on the table with no intention other than just sharing it, shared experience, just sharing where I'm at and who I am and what I'm feeling. We used to call them I statements. That's all you can do. I will push into the middle of the altar because you're on the other side. I'm on this side. I'll push all my stuff in. Hey, my heart's bleeding. I wish we could do more together, blah, 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 blah. And then all you can do is either pick it up from there or not pick it up. And that's it. So if there's a wife struggling and her husband, typically the husband's not giving as much, they just got to find those moments and those soft spots, maybe after a glass of wine and just share without the intention of blaming or pointing fingers or being accusatory, just share how you're feeling, right? Think about it. If I go, if I come into you like this, like, dude, like this really isn't working and I just feel bad, whatever it is, just bring them that. That's it. Put it onto the altar and see what happens. So then what happens when you get that same record playing? (laughs) you, you You dump out, you share, you're vulnerable, and inevitably some of the same stuff comes up and then you get back into that same cycle. I I call it almost like skiing when you're going down the tracks, you know, you know, in a mountain and it's it's really hard to get out of someone else's track. So you just keep doing the same thing. Maybe not the best analogy, but no, it's perfect. So not to say my wife and I, we were 23 years in, there were probably two or three points in the last, the first 20 years where we got to those points for me. And I think anybody listening is, I determined that I was better in my life if my wife, my life was better with my wife in it, regardless of her commitment to it. And I knew deep down she was committed to the relationship, but I was better 
and it was better for me to have her in my life. And so I determined that this team experience of she and I together moving forward in time was going to be better no matter what, because she she added so much value in other parts. Let's say whatever part of that relationship wasn't working, there were parts that were. And so if you don't see any value, then it, you probably start the process of writing it off, so to speak. But I say keep using, keep don't push the other person, push yourself harder and go further inside yourself. And if your spouse and the other is still adding some kind of value, time could make things improve. I.e., Time could bring that other person to the altar. And again, you can't draw them in more than just doing your own work. I think your commitment to your work, the work on self is all you can do. And again, if that person adds value and will add value over time, but if you look out two, three years into the future and say, my spouse, my partner, my other isn't additive. All it is is distracted and abrasive and toxic. Then you make the decision, but you got to go all the way. Why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? No, I'm just just saying to cut the cord. It's time to cut the cord. Yeah, I mean, yeah. But here's what I will say. I think people cut the cord too early because the friction and the discontent, all these emotions they're feeling, they haven't tuned into those own emotions. See, the, the power of the work is go back into your cave, do your meditation, do your breathing, do your crying, do your lamenting, do your therapy. If you've done enough of that and you still can't draw the other person in, granted, cut the cord. But I'll guarantee you there's marriages out there that, that end up cutting the cord, but one of the two hasn't done the deep enough work and they haven't made a commitment to themselves first. And that's really what it is. I have to bring more of Bill and my vulnerability to you in order to make it work. And I think people kind of, ah, I'm just going to pack it in. And that to me is, I think humans, we get a little bit lazy on our inner work. And that's kind of what the book is, is kind of trying to shake people, go, hey, try it, go sit longer. And we're going to hopefully talk about it because I think the pandemic's been a gift. I think these last six months are an absolute gift, a mana from heaven. We can talk about that later. Yeah, I do. And I do. But I, I wanted to share something with you that I think you'll appreciate. I had a, had a conversation with a gentleman the other day who's uh, in the process of his, well, he, he, he's just, I think he's finished with his third divorce. <laughs> now he's on his fourth wife. And he says, you know what I realized? He's like, I actually, I married the same woman three times. Yep. It was just a face that changed, but it was the same woman. It, the, the issue, he's like, it was on me. And so, so I, I hope it. the fourth time's a charm, but at least <laughs> at this point he had, a, you know, he spoke with a, a sense of clarity. Well, you know, what he says, the powerful biomagnetic science behind what he just described is that how I vibrate with my sense of self, when I go out into the world and a partner chooses me and I choose that partner, that partner can only be a match to how I'm feeling about myself. So this guy, he marries because his, his certain sense of self is vibration. Biomagnetically, his, his limbic body is in a certain vibe and he attracts that woman. Then he attracts the same one, attracts the same one. It's impossible for him to attract a different one until he has that aha going, oh, this is me. And literally a perception changes the neuron, rolling of the neurons. It actually changes the biomagnetic temperament of the cells in the body, which has a physical impact, which means he will choose differently. I'm not saying this is the case for him. I mean, hopefully four times is a charm, but there's a science behind why he was choosing the same one because his inner patterns were attracting the same pattern on the outside. And that's the beauty of the inner work. Once I find out, oh, that's my crap, my disposition and the lens through which I see and feel other people changes. That's really the most important thing 
is I have to change Bill and understand Bill in order for me to understand someone else. How can I understand my wife if I don't understand me? Bingo, end of story, drop the mic. I've got to know Bill. <laughs> Sorry. Right, don't no, get listen. me started. Yeah, no, listen. All right, you drop the mic. Let's bring it back to the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'll come back, but let's bring it back to the pandemic. I'd love to get your thoughts on what it's taught you. Let's start high level and we'll see where this yeah. goes. Yeah. I do see some outside of the craziness of just whatever. I At least what we're dealing with, I have seen some pretty interesting positives as well. It's really confirmed to me that our inner world really dictates so much because when it hit, we realize I can't go outside my four walls essentially and be distracted by let's choose a thousand things the outside world can distract us with when we leave the house, right? We go for it, we do all these things. And if we can't do that, it's literally almost like we're in a, a monastery. And so what do they do in monasteries? They meditate and they and they go inside and really, you know, the pandemic is kind of for me has been a re affirmation that there were things in my life that I thought I had kind of dug up and I still hadn't after 24 years of meditating and all kind of the self-help work and inner work, I realized, man, there's still more stuff. So I think the pandemic's been a way for all of us to, to see the things that we kind of haven't sorted out because we can't leave the house and go avoid them. So it's been the great unable to avoid self experience. I'm not saying it's easy. I mean, there's times I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to lose my mind. But for me, it's been, there's a beauty to figuring out, okay, what do I do today beyond my regular nine hours of work? It's been informative to me. You know, I've really, you know, embracing my exercise, embracing all the things that, yeah, I'll do it. I won't do it. Well, there's no excuses, right? So my meditation's gone deeper. My, my exercise has been better and eating better and all that kind of stuff. But, but what about those who haven't, who've gone the other way? <laughs> well, it, it that's really again, confirmation that they've been, they were avoiding it when life was fluid and life became less fluid. It's now brought them into this monistic type of experience and it's freaking them out. And, and that's just really a signal going, okay, let's slow down. Let's spend some time, not just sitting in the house, watching the internet or doing something on the internet, turn everything off, truly turn everything off which we're always trying to do with people anyway for the last thousands of years, turn everything off and really look at what is this thing impelling you to, to, to feel bad? What is the angst? What is the sadness? What is the longing? What is that stuff? Let's go find the roots. I mean, listen, it's not easy, but I know a lot of people that have loved the pandemic, that the pandemic has been a gift to have that same experience. But it's a good question you ask. What about the people that are struggling it really is to, it, it's the best time to really take the deepest inventory because you have the time to do it. And to avoid it now just means when things open back up again, you're just going to continue the, the thread of your life that's not, you're not looking hard enough. And for right. some people, it's really hard. So I got a question. For those married that are listening right now, what should they be doing? Give us one or two things that they could implement or do right now. Right now, that that yeah. yeah. Right now, let's start with maybe something easy because I don't Super I don't know easy. I don't know how ready for the fire everybody. Is, you know? <laughs> um, I know they got to do it, but that might yeah. be too much. So let's start yeah. with like a, a tiny habit, something easy, something the, that, that, that can prompt a good conversation or whatever yep. it might be. Yep, I think number one, exercise, and I know that's like a platitude. You always need to, but 
every single day, especially during the pandemic, you need to do 20, 30, 40 minutes of something where you're moving your body. That's where I think a lot of people become sedentary and motion drives emotion is because exactly. Yep. And moving, you have to exercise your inner world, right? We do a lot of exercising of our physical world and our mental world, right? We can do puzzles, read the book, read the internet, all that kind of stuff, but we need to exercise our psycho-emotional world. And that's why, number one, the, the best thing to do is go out and take a 30-minute walk, not a 10-minute walk. Go out and challenge yourself because it's not like you don't have the time. <laughs> go out and do a 30-minute walk right now. Put everything down in the dark. I've got my splunking light. I go for runs in the dark if I didn't get to do it during the day. Go do something. Number one, do something that opens you up. That, that to me would be the most simple thing. I think the second thing, the next layer is the next interaction you have with your spouse, whether it's an hour from now or two days from now, how you have that interaction, you're a little bit frustrated, you're a little bit sad, you're a little bit, something gets kicked up. As soon as that, and I've been working on this with my daughter, as soon as that gets kicked up, catch that thought, catch that feeling and go somewhere by yourself and, and simmer in that feeling. What was that feeling that just got kicked up? Oh, I feel really insecure that I don't feel my career's not going anywhere and the pandemic's really crushed my career and that my spouse just made a comment. It really makes me feel less than. Can, oh, I, can, can I interrupt for a second? Yes. So how do they know? Give an example of how they know if they've got that feeling. Are there certain triggers, things that happen so people are going to be more in tune with Great their question. emotions or feelings? Great question. It starts from one layer above is, are you willing to catch yourself? It's almost like a butterfly catcher. Are you willing to catch that this thing that's flittering around, that, that emotion? Something's coming up in you. So how do they do it? They're in a discussion. They're in the kitchen. Their wife says something. Their husband says something. And they're about to react. Mm-hmm. They're about to go from fourth gear to ninth gear. You can feel it. They can feel it. <laughs> they, 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 their, their face gets a little bit red. And they're about to make a comment that's going to be cutting, degrading, whatever it is. And before we we do this exercise in my house all the time, and I know it sounds really corny, but before they go from four to nine, they stop yourself. Like you said, count to 10, about to say a comment, count to 10, and then retreat and go away. That's the exercise. That's the stand in the fire. Find the emotion, capture it like a butterfly, hold it in your hand, hold it in your heart. (gasps) I feel like a jerk. I feel like a loser. I feel blah, blah. I want to kill. I want to do blah. Great. Here it is. I feel like a jerk or I'm really angry. I am angry. Oop. Now it's it's in my chest. It's in my belly. Okay. I found it. I captured it. Now go back into your office, go back into your room and just sit on the floor and just feel that emotion. Let that emotion wave over you. Let that emotion kind of wash through you and see what happens as you, as you spend time with that emotion. And I guarantee a shift. I guarantee some kind of shift, or at least you're going to catch yourself going... Oh God. Okay. I really am angry, but what am I really angry at? I'm frustrated because I'm not making the kind of money that I want to be making. And that comment I was about to make had nothing to do with money, but this sense of less than is what's driving me. I'm not going to solve the less than equation today, but I'm going to capture it. No. Okay. My spouse kicked it up. And then I realize you know, maybe the next day you go, Hey, sweetheart, or Hey spouse, I just want to let you know what got kicked up in me is this sense of less than this, whatever it might be. And then you kicked it up, and I just wanted to acknowledge that. Bingo, bingo. You put something's going to shift. <laughs> you, you put it right the there. That's that vulnerability. Bingo. You nailed it. That's the vulnerability. That's the reluctance. That's going back to the cave. Joseph Campbell says we're afraid to go into the cave, but the cave where all the truth is—that's the cave of self. 
I got to tell you about these Zoom things. You cannot replace in person. I know. Picking up on these cues. I even forgot what my question was was interrupting you about. Like, but I do have a follow up question, even though I forgot my other one. And 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 I apologize by the way. No, please. So should someone write these down? Is this something that's like a journal moment? Yes. Like when you're, you know, so so the process is. Be open to being vulnerable. Uh, When something comes up, 10% of life is what happens to you. 90% is how you react. So instead of reacting and going from, like you said, you know, zero or level 10, take it into a room, ruminate on it, stand in fire, digest everything. Okay, cool. You digest it. You get deep in yourself, cry, rage, anger, whatever it might be. Next step is write it down. Okay. Right. And then what? Then share the next and day share. or however long it takes. Then okay. share. Okay. Yep. You nailed it, dude. And again, I think it's the one phrase you said is stand in the fire. If you can use the stand in the fire as that entire process that you just outlined. And then now you've stood in it. Mm. Now you're coming back. You're at the altar. And now you're going to share with the intention of just purely sharing nothing else. You're not trying to get a result. You're not trying to create a result. You're not trying to create a reaction from the other. You're just in that honest, mm. open intuitive place going, you know what, this is what came up. And boy, I can't believe it came up. I didn't know that was the shit that was at the top of the stream of all this crap that I'm feeling is this sense of less than or whatever it might be. It's a guarantee there'll be some kind of shift, whether it's in you, your spouse, or the relationship. Remember, there's three entities. There's three entities. There's you, there's your spouse, and then there's the thing in the middle called relationship. And you've now made a a deposit in the relational bank on the Mm -hmm. altar, you put a deposit in that altar of pure vulnerability, pure openness, and pure wholehearted sincerity, that is gold. And that's all you need to do. And then you just keep standing in the fire. Three weeks from now, two weeks from now, the next morning, you're frustrated, you're tired. Your spouse says, oh, you look terrible. You look tired. Oh, that's my wife making me feel less than. Oh, bingo. Here it is. Stand in the fire. I feel less than. Oh, it's like when my mom used to judge me or my dad used to judge me. Bingo. And it just keeps unraveling. And the more you unravel, you're able to catch your stuff so much more quickly. I'm, I'm telling you, my daughter uh, started doing some inner work, doing talking to a therapist the first time, and she catches herself now. And I think she did like three sessions. You just have to get in the habit. There's an emotional muscle. There's a muscle set. And you just got to get in the habit of, oh, this is my fire. Oh, that's Bill's fire. Oh, here it comes again. And then you're going to be able to notice when it's about to come and you're going to catch it before it even happens because you're going to exercise, right? As you lift more weights, you get to do heavier weights. And that's what this is, is really learning what that emotional muscle is of catching Bill, catching the little eight-year-old of me who feels like a a jerk or whatever, catching the 14-year-old that's angry at women, whatever it is, you just catch it. Well, it's good to make it a habit. I, I love, I'm sure you've heard me say this before. And if not, uh, you, you will hear me say it again, <laughs> is that we don't control our futures. Uh, we control our habits and our habits control our futures. Bingo. And, and, and Bingo. Uh, so it's, it, it's I, these tiny I, and I'll, I'll follow that thread that I can't remember who said it. They said that all our thoughts emerge from our emotions, right? So we have these strong emotions and then a thought comes up and a belief is just a thought we keep doing over and over and over again until it gets calcified as a belief. Like, I believe men are idiots. Well, that's a pretty good belief. But it it stems from this emotion that we have around it that's been built up for years, and then it's a thought we have over and over again, and then it becomes a belief. Well, how do you undo a belief? you got to go back to the roots, and that's the emotions. All our sense of self and knowledge of self, all our intuition 
is built around the feeling body. And truth, you can't get to the truth until you get to your intuition. A truth can't be created. You have to perceive the truth. That's a really important statement. Truths are not created. You don't read a truth in a book. You read something in a book that's powerful. You ruminate on it going, wow, unbelievable. Okay, really so, so, so let me ask you this, getting back to the book. So how do people use your book? Are they using it? Is it a tool? Is it something yes. they read once just to kind of dig it and then they go back and read it again? And then they kind of, is there a roadmap? Or how, how do you recommend for those that are listening to this, digest your book? Great question. The first thing is I wanted to be incredibly honest and vulnerable throughout the entire book because it really is fairly autobiographical. Names are changed to protect the innocent. Can I ask one more question before you get go course? Is this a book they're reading on the beach? Is this a book they're reading right before they go to bed? Is this a book that they're, when? Because yeah. I think that has a lot to do with what you read too. I don't know, at least for myself. There's certain no, 100%. things that I read I, and digest I, at certain times. This time. is an evening book because I, I believe in every chapter, there's a little bit of an exercise and all the exercises are pretty similar. We, we do some, we just close our eyes. We do a little bit of breathing and we go back inside because the breath is really the entrance to our intuition. Our breath is... The breath is how you slow down your rational, crazy thought world and enter the emotional emotional world of the child, uh, the child heart. And so this is a book that, yeah, I mean, you could read on the beach for sure, but I, I would read it in the evening where even before you pass out or you might pass out reading it, which is totally fine, which means you're relaxing. And I'm not, not being you know funny or goofing on myself that I'm going to put you to sleep, which I probably will. But doing the exercise will get you to relax. And that's the most important thing. So you asked me the great question, you know, how to use this book. It really is kind of an exercise book, but it's number one, it's a fairly universal experience of my experience being married, living in the suburbs, which a lot of us have that world that we're in. And then the second thing is here's some very simple exercises that are going to get you to start doing something different. And that start doing something different is going back to when you were younger, third, fourth, fifth grade, whatever it is, and getting to the roots of the emotions that you feel now as an adult. That's the whole context of the book. Go back to when the scenarios from when you were young that created these, these reaction points, these reactionary sensations, and then realize that you've carried them into your marriage, but you didn't know they were there. And you never could have known they were there. It's a scientific fact, Adam. You could have never known how difficult a relationship or a marriage is going to be because there's actual a brain development phase in our lives called malineation that completely shifts our brain patterns. And so the old world of emotions as a kid were hidden until we turned 30, essentially. And so men the and book women is about both. men and women. It's called malineation. It's I don't read about it enough and it blows me away. It's when the left brain, the neurons of the left and the neurons of the right side of the brain, the intuitive and the rational start to merge. And we, that's called the Saturn term. It's when we turn 29 and a half. I was just having a conversation with a buddy of mine. He's 31. He's like, Bill, I can't believe you're saying that. Our sense of meaning when we're 30 is completely different than our sense of meaning when we're 25. And that's because our right brain, which is what brings meaning, our, our sensations of, of self, all these kind of the feeling world, the emotion world, they start to creep up and they creep up from our childhood going, what am I doing? I'm 30 years old. I'm not doing what I wanted to do. That was the reason why I wrote the book is because I wanted people to know, hey, it's okay. You weren't supposed to know. You're 45 and happy in your marriage. It's okay. <laughs> like just hang in there. Let's do a few exercises. And if it doesn't work, that's fine. I say this in every one of my counseling sessions with couples. I say to them verbatim, you can ask them. I say, listen, 
let's forget about the relationship at this point. By the time you get to meet a therapist, the relationship might not work, but forget about hoping it works. Just do the work now and let's see what happens in five, six, seven weeks. If you start doing the work on self, you're going to notice a shift. And if you come back to me six months from now, we've done a ton of work and the relationship doesn't work. That's fine. Forget about the outcome. Do the work now. That's the premise of the book. That's powerful. That is great. Thank you. Yeah. I I don't want to steal too much thunder of this. If someone hasn't been listening, I should say if someone's listening now and they haven't realize this yet, then they're not worthy of reading this book. <laughs> Can I add one more thing too? Yeah, of course. In those counseling sessions, when I tell the couples, don't worry about the outcome, I also say there's a much bigger plot going on. The plot is if you do the work on self, if Bill and Linda do the work on self, which should improve the altar and the, the space in between us, which is the marriage location, the locale, if we improve that, we improve the next generations, the next generation. I always say, do it for your grandkids, grandkids, because whatever emotions that I, whatever emotions I have, I send down the line biomagnetically. I, I've sent them into my kids. And if I haven't done the work on Bill, that means my kids are going to have these kind of blunted, dented emotions and they're going to pass them on to their kids. So it's a much bigger plot. And that's why I say to folks, okay, if you're not going to do it for yourself, fine. If you're not going to do it for your spouse, fine. How about doing it for your grandkids? They're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, if you work on self and understand your insecurities and your longings and your joy and your sadness and you cry and you open up, you're going to change the disposition of people you've never met before. I'm like, that's big stuff. I say, do it for posterity. Do it for the generations to come. That's how you change generations. Be part of the solution. And you know, their heads kind of go, blah, 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 blah. that's too big, a big, too big a chunk to bite right now. I'm like, I get it. But that's what it's about. It's bigger than you and I, Adam. Bill doing the work on Bill is about grandkids that I will never meet. I think a big takeaway that I just had is how you, your style and identifying to not go, not focus on the outcome. Bingo. And, and I think that that's, it ties nicely to why you're so successful in sales because they say a good salesperson doesn't, isn't tied to the outcome either. They're tied to helping a client, creating an experience, whatever that might be. Yeah. And if it's meant to be, no, I shouldn't say it's meant to be, but if it's a good product or if yep. you're offering something good that's going to provide value, the outcome is going to get there. And, and you, that's so key, dude. That's so key. And it really has been my MO for so long. Is I, you know, I'm cold calling still in a brand new relationship. So, you know, on a weekly basis, I really send down the line of that initial relationship of, listen, this is who I am. This is what we're doing. I'd like to be in a relationship with you. And I literally say almost in every conversation, regardless of whether we ever do business again, I would love to talk again. And that's legit. Yeah. That is truly legit. And it's shocking. I, you're right. I don't, of course I want to make money. I got two and a half kids in college. It's like, and I, but it's really, it's not the money. It's the relationship. And from the relationship emerges good things. Mm, that is gold. So I don't know if you saw the video of the, the gentleman, Kyle Martin. He was the valedictorian of his, uh, of his, of his high school or I think it was high school or college. I don't remember, but he had a great quote that uh, he was top of his class, but his relationship suffered as a result mm. of that. And, and he really identified that. Mm. Um, and he said, nothing is more important than your healthy relationships. Nothing. Yeah. Not your goals, not your success. Relationships are where we get influence, impact, and get the opportunity to change people's lives. Mm. Your life cannot be meaningful without them. What are your mm. thoughts? <laughs> I mean bingo i mean like literally there's nothing so 
People asking, why did I spend the last 18 years working on a relationship, trying to understand self? Literally, my wife totally thinks I'm crazy. I've got 19 books next to my bed and I've read most of them probably three times or four times. And then I read the results of the Harvard Grant study two years ago and uh, three years ago. And the Harvard Grant study was a 75-year longitudinal study where they started with a class of 41 and 42 out of Harvard and they studied them for 75 years. Now they're studying their grandkids. And guess what was the one sentence that came out of it? It was, we realize that there's nothing more important in people's lives than relationships, their health, their economic success, their um, their familiar, how their kids behave. I mean, the entire complex of all the data that they studied came down to one sentence. There's nothing more than, more important than relationships. And when I read that, I literally fell off my chair going, and I was in the throes of kind of finishing the book up or getting the book really cooked in. And it just blew me away. So there is nothing more important. And I think, I didn't see that clip, but I think, what happens is when we're, when we're 20 years old and 25 and 30, 35 and 40, we know relationships are important, but we don't understand the scope of them until we get older. And I think it's really important, especially for us folks that are older than 45, 40, 45, 50, is that life starts to get really good if we stay with this thread of understanding ourselves because our life experience really becomes the tools. And I think that's what that, that, what that, that, person that Biddy was saying is that we don't really understand the power of them until we mature a little bit. And maturing, guess what maturing is? Your left brain and your right brain coming together and understanding self. Oh, that's what it is. And so we would, as we mature, we realize, God, relationships really are everything. Everything. And so really that Harvard study in, in summary kind of was like, it blew me away. I'm like, oh my God, if Harvard's saying that, then I got it. We're on the right track here. Can you send me that link or that that source somewhere? Because that, that is a powerful yeah, source that I'd, I'd love to be able to cite. It's amazing. So many other things. It's amazing. Yeah. And the fact that they're now studying their, actually, I think it's their grandkids, something crazy that they're just, they are still plowing through and, and powering through that study. But yeah, I'll send that over for sure. Yeah, that's amazing. Bill, I, I got to thank you. You know, again, you delivered. I, I, I was trying, I'm like, hmm, how much new stuff are we going to be able to cover? And, and clearly there's plenty. <laughs> and, and we could be going on and on. I could um, just keep going. My wife's like, Bill's incapable of small talk, so don't get him started. <laughs> well, the small talk is the big talk. I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, yeah. What have we left out? What have I failed to ask you? What What else should we have covered? I think we got it all. I mean, I just hope we get to continue talking, whether it's online or offline. And I just, I, I want people to use the pandemic as their tool for the last 18 years, I've used basically three or four tools. I've used my marriage so I could learn about self. I used the friction of my marriage to learn about self. Meditation and therapy are the two most powerful tools on the planet. They're really the only two real tools. So I just want people to know that it is a struggle and life is hard, but you have to get into that sourness to really get to the sweetness. And it's really going into our emotions and feeling all that stuff that's hard to feel and then when you come out on the other side, you realize everyone else is feeling the same darn thing. And that's my message is just keep doing the work. Keep doing the work. Trust it. Stand in the fire. Trust the work. And there's nothing but good that can come out of that. It gets bumpy, but that's all there is. To me, that's all there is. It's shared experience, right? We're having a shared experience right now. Have more good ones because you've done the work on self. And on that note, <laughs> Bill, I want to thank you. 
You're welcome, Adam. I can't thank you enough. Seriously, you're a life changer. I know you don't like taking those compliments, but your work has been powerful. It's really gotten some of my stuff out there and I'm just honored to be part of this. Seriously. Oh, man. Well, I'm proud to be your friend, my friend. So thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> Make it a great day. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a network-wise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to networkwise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise.